Thank you, worship team. Just want to welcome each and every one of you to this worship service of our Lord here. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to, to come together to, to sing praise to our God and to, to dive into his word together. A special welcome to all of those of you who are joining us online. Um, before we get into the sermon, I just want to remind everyone that uh, December is a month when we um, collect a love gift here at Calvary for all of our staff, for our pastors, just a, a way for us to say thank you for all of the hard work that they've put in throughout the year to, to keep things running here, to allow us to meet during the week, to allow us to have services every Sunday morning, to, to be able to gather and sing praises. So if you do have an opportunity, uh, our board chair, Kyle, sent out an email with some information about how you might be able to give. And also, just a thank you, uh, stopping a staff member or a pastor in the hall and just thanking them for the time, the effort that they put in to, to help Calvary to, to be a church that can glorify God together. Today, uh, we're going to be in the second of our four-part series on the angels bringing messages around um, the Christmas time. And my message today I have titled, If It Is the Lord's Will. I want to thank Steve, for, Steve Ansel for a great message last week, uh, a, t a message about what it feels like when you've been praying for and seeking something for a long time, and it feels like God's just forgotten about you, and you get to the point where you almost give up. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that message, I do recommend that you go onto our website and, and take the time to, to listen to that message. This week, we're going to be looking at another message from the angel Gabriel, uh, but this time, almost the exact opposite of what uh, Zechariah was dealing with. And this time, we're going to see that there's a young woman who has a plan. She knows what her future ahead of her looks like. And uh, there's no reason for her to, to change anything. It's a good plan. What she, what she has ahead of her is, is something that, that she wants. It's something that she's looked for and something that she's planned for. And yet, something is about to interrupt that plan in a totally unexpected way. Think for a moment about your own life, about plans that you've made, plans you might even have now, and what happens when you have a major plan for your life, something that you see, this is, this is what I'm going to do, and I'm so excited about this, or I'm so looking forward to this, and in the midst of that, something throws a wrench into it and your plan gets interrupted, and you're not able to move forward and to have that plan happen the way that, that you thought it would. And think about what that response to that might be. And it's, it's hard to have a, a plan, a good plan even, something that we know is, is a good future for us, and to have something stop that, something interrupt that. And it's hard to, to accept that. I know in my own life, uh, my response is often frustration or anger or I, or I seek to try to force my life to go back to the way I had it planned, to make it work out the way that I think is right for my life. You know, there's all kinds of things that can then be interrupted. We can have a job end unexpectedly. We can have an engagement end. We can have, you know, a, a loss of, of, a, of a loved one or we can have a relationship end. And it just all of these things that we don't plan for and they come in and, and that interruption just kind of throws us off balance. It throws us off of, of what we're expecting. You know, it's a struggle to, to, to deal with change even when you do plan for it. 
But how much harder is it to, to deal with change, to deal with an interruption to your life when it's something so unexpected that you never even thought this is possible, that this could happen? Well, as Christians, you and I, we have a different component in our life than the rest of the world does. We are to be living lives surrendered to our God, surrendered in a way that we no longer try to have control over our own life, our own, our own plan. And sometimes living a God-surrendered life means that our plans for our lives are not going to go the way that we think they should. Now, as I mentioned last week, we looked at a time that Gabriel came to Zechariah, and we saw his response. And today we're going to see how Mary's response differs than the response of Zechariah to the word of the Lord. So let's see what that message is, and we're going to find out how that interrupted a plan. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. And Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. So here we see that six months after Gabriel brought the message about John to Zechariah, he's back again. And instead of finding someone who's been praying for something forever and feeling like it's never going to happen, we see Mary. Now Mary has a plan. Mary knows what's coming next. She's engaged to be married to Joseph. And if any of you have been through the process of becoming engaged and then getting married, I imagine Mary is thinking all about this. What's this going to be like to be married? What is my house going to look like? What's it going to be like to have another person there with me? Are we going to have children right away? What's the future? And Mary's just planning this out and thinking it through. The one thing I'm quite certain Mary is not thinking about is what is it going to be like to have a child before I get married? In that day and age, and sometimes even today, this is complete and utter, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, complete and utter social suicide. I mean, she will be shunned by those around her. In fact, even Joseph himself would have the right completely under the law to set both Mary and the child aside and not to marry her, not to continue with this. But, but Mary isn't afraid of these things. 
Mary's not thinking about these things. She's not planning for these things because the current plan that Mary has for her life is safe and good, and it's going exactly the way it's supposed to. Everything is lining up for Mary. It stars all the way. Now, I don't know what kind of planner Mary actually was. The scripture doesn't tell us how detailed she had planned out her, her wedding. It doesn't tell us, you know, if she had all the right wine lists all set aside and had the perfect meal planned. I personally am uh, what I like to think of as a loose planner. I, uh, I have a rough plan for what I want to do, and then I just kind of wing the rest of it. And I know that there are probably some of you out there, my wife included, that are probably cringing inside just a little bit from that idea, the idea that I wouldn't have backup plans to my backup plans. I think some of us as, as more detailed planners, some of you probably have thought about a lot of extra things. You thought about what might happen if this part of the plan falls through or that part of the plan falls through. But no matter how good of a planner, no matter what kind of planner you are, none of us can plan for every single detail. Our minds just are not capable of that. And we don't plan for things that are absolutely, completely impossible to happen. So for Mary, it doesn't really matter what kind of a planner she was. She was not thinking about this happening. She was not planning to have a child out of wedlock. In fact, Mary has done everything right. She's had no secret trysts in the night. She hasn't slept with Joseph before the, the marriage went through. Even the angel Gabriel, when he speaks to her, he says to her, you who are highly favored. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. So even Gabriel is, is telling Mary, hey, You've done this right. You've lived your life the way you should have. And it's, you are favored. And while she is favored, the idea that you and I have is that if we live it right, if we do things the way we're supposed to do, then God should bless our plan. That God should say, you have done it all right, and so I'm going to make sure that exactly what you want to happen is what happens. But the message of Gabriel is not your reward for doing it right is that your plan will happen just as you hope. Instead, despite Mary's best planning and her best life, God's plan and Mary's plan don't align here. Now, as, as we heard last week, Zechariah refused to even believe that the plan was happening. He refused to believe that God could make this thing happen. And Mary, unlike Zechariah, does not respond with doubt that it could even happen, even though comparing the two, what happens for Mary is actually quite a bit more impossible even than what happened with Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now with them, while still a miracle, at least all the pieces are there, but Mary's being told that even without a husband, without a father, this baby is just going to show up in your life. Now, I don't know about you and how you would respond in a situation like that. I think I would have some questions. And, and Mary has some questions too. So she does ask a question. Mary says, how will this be since I am a virgin? It doesn't matter how faithful we are. There are going to be moments in our lives where things happen that we just don't understand. And what I don't want us to miss here is the fact that it's okay 
to have questions. It's okay to even have doubts. Our God is a big God. He can handle our questions. He can handle our fears. He can handle our doubts. But what God is seeking from each one of us is not that we don't have questions, that we don't have doubts. What our God is seeking from us is that at the end of the day, we would surrender our life, our purpose, our plan to his purpose and his plan, even if we don't fully understand what's happening. I love Mary's response. Instead of running away, instead of being angry, instead of being upset that her plans are are all being changed, she asks a question, she gets an answer, and then she says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And with these words, Mary is saying, you know it's not what I've planned, God. You know the plans that I had for myself and for my future. You know what I hoped for. But I do not serve myself. I serve you. I surrender my life and my plan to you. Mary doesn't understand really what's happening here. How could you possibly understand something that has never happened one time in the history of all of life on earth? But it doesn't matter to Mary. Even not understanding exactly what's happening, Mary is willing to turn her life over to the Lord. She's willing to trust that his word will be fulfilled, that his word will never fail. She's willing to trust that God's plan is better than her plan. And it's not just trust in the face of a scary angel standing there. I mean, I think if an angel just suddenly appeared and gave me a message, I might be tempted to say, yes, yes, whatever you say. But we see that even after the angel has left and Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, her response is still the same. And she says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. What a response. In the midst of having her entire life thrown up in the air and changed completely, Mary is willing to glorify the name of God and to call herself blessed because God's plan is better than her plan. And oh boy, are God's plans better than our plans. If we think for just a moment, if Mary had gone forward and her plan had happened, she might have had a couple of great kids with Joseph. They might have been the best kids who ever lived. They might have gone on to do great things. But God's plan went on to do impossible things. Through Jesus coming into the world, through Mary saying yes to God's plan, billions of people, with a B, billions of people, have had the opportunity to come to know the Lord, to say yes to Jesus in their lives, to have life instead of death, to have light instead of darkness. 
because Mary was willing to say yes. You and I have had the opportunity to say yes to Jesus, to know the Son. Steve mentioned it last week, and Mary hears it too. This happened because no word of the Lord will ever fail. No promise of God's will ever fail. No one time will God say, oops, I made a mistake. Even when we don't understand the purpose or the final outcome of anything that happens in our lives, God does. And he has a better plan in mind than anything you and I could possibly conceive of. So what does it look like to live this out? What does this mean for you and I today? How, how do we try to plan for our lives in a way that is surrender to the Lord? I love James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17, and I think here is a very clear outline for us. And James says, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you are boasting in your arrogant schemes, and all such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So here James gives us some characteristics of both the positive and the negative of what it looks like to plan surrender to God or to plan in our own strength. So first, let's take a look at the negative. And here we're seeing a person who is very self-focused. They're not surrendered to anyone else. Their plan begins and ends with themselves. He or she has made the decision, visualized the outcome, and nothing is going to stand in their way. They're intent to make this happen. And there's no sign in this person of any consideration of how their plan might affect someone else, or no thought of what it might take to actually make it happen. The whole plan revolves around this person, what they do and what they will get out of it. Second, this person is proud, boastful even, about what they are going to accomplish, what they are able to do, the great plans that they have laid. They're arrogant about what they will do, not believing that anything else has the power to stop them from completing their plan. Third, he or she is unwilling to change their plan, even if another good or a greater good makes itself clear of something they should be doing. You know, I think about companies that put profits above people. And if someone gets hurt on the way to raising the bottom line, oh well, it's not my problem. This is the plan. This is, this is what we're doing as a company. We're trying to have that number show up on the page, the bottom that we want. And if, if somebody has to get hurt, so be it. I think sometimes in politics, we see people who are so firmly holding on to one side or another side that they're unable or unwilling to think about where someone else is coming from, to think about where someone else's heart is, to, to think about 
whether what they're holding on to is really the thing that they should be holding on to. Even among just ordinary people that aren't focused or thinking about politics, I think we so hold firmly to our plans. We hold so firmly to the things that we have decided to do that that we have a hard time letting go. We have a hard time surrendering that. I think of my own busy life, and I allow my schedule to be so full. And yeah, I know it's it's a loose schedule, but even then, I see the things that I have on my list, and I think, you know, I don't really have time to stop and help someone in need because I've got to get these things done. I have this plan. I have this thing, and that takes precedence. I find myself making excuses as to why I can't or won't help someone else in need, why I can't or won't do something different than what I have scheduled for myself. And this is so ridiculous in the face of what James said to us. We think that our plans and our lives are so permanent and so big and so important. And James says, you don't even have any idea what's going to happen tomorrow. What is your life? It's just a mist. Not really able to affect much of anything and gone before you even know it gone so fast that you might hardly have time to miss it. I think the prophet Jonah is a good example for us of someone who does, lives this out the wrong way. And I like reading the story of Jonah. It scares me a little bit sometimes because I see too many similarities. But here's this prophet, and God comes and he speaks into his life And he says, I have a plan for you, Jonah. I want you to go to the Ninevites and I want you to tell them that they've been living in sin and I want you to warn them about what's coming. And Jonah's thinking to himself, I know God is a merciful God. I know he's likely to forgive these Ninevites and I want to see them burn. So Jonah says, nope, not going to do it, God. My plan's better. And so Jonah runs as fast as he can in the opposite direction to God's plan. He goes so far as to get on a ship and sail away from Nineveh. And as you know the story, instead of sailing away, he gets thrown overboard, swallowed by a fish, and after three days, I think I would probably submit to God's plan after being in the belly of a fish too. So here Jonah finally says, okay, fine, God, I'll do it your way. And he goes to Nineveh, and the Ninevites repent, and God forgives them. And this is amazing. And here's what Jonah says. See, God, I knew you would forgive them and spare them. I knew you were a merciful God. This is what I was trying to prevent by running away. Well, Jonah thought he knew what was better. He thought he had a better plan. He thought those evil Ninevites deserved what they had coming their way. So why warn them? And God is saying, hey, I've got a plan, and my plan is better. My plan results in lives being saved, in people coming to know me, in people coming to say yes to me. And sadly, we see even by the end of Jonah's story that his whole focus is on how everything that's happened to him affects him and on how it's so unfair and God is so 
unfair to have made him do these things and to continue to do things to him. Instead of trusting God, instead of seeing that God's mercy and God's purposes are better, Jonah fights against them the whole way through. So what then do we do? If, if making the bad plan is the wrong thing to do, if, if making a plan in our own strength and boasting in our own strength is the wrong thing to do, what do we do? Do we make zero plans? Do we sit completely motionless and wait for God to come and tell us exactly what it is that he wants us to do next? You know, a temptation I think we see in our world is, is this idea of when there's something that we find to be wrong, we we run away from it. We swing away from it as fast as we can and we try to get to the complete opposite thing or what we think of as the complete opposite thing. I call this the pendulum effect because sometimes we find ourselves at that complete opposite thing and after a little bit, we realize that's not the right thing either. And so again, we swing away from it as hard as we can and try to get to what we see as the opposite. And instead of swinging to and fro and being lost in our life, I think what we should be doing is seeking balance, seeking instead to align our lives, align our plans with Scripture and with what God's purposes for us are, to align our beliefs and our actions with what we know to be true of our God, with that Word of God that's never going to fail. So the same thing remains true here. If boastfully making plans about our future is bad, then some people end up seeking the opposite. They think to themselves, I just won't make any plans. I won't make any decisions about my future at all, and I'm just going to sit here until I get exactly what I want from God, until he comes in and tells me, this is what you should be doing. And yet God doesn't always seem to work that way. We don't all get a burning bush or a dove from above. Yet every Christian is called to live as James is talking about here in Scripture. So if it's not that we're to sit and make no plans at all, what is it that God wants from us to be doing in the waiting times, in the times when we haven't yet heard? Well, let's look at the positive side of of James' words. This person is not somebody that sits in silence and does nothing. They don't wait until the perfect sign comes along. This person is still making active plans for their future. They're still thinking about which way they're going to go, what they're going to do about about work and about making money. They're, They're thinking about going to a certain city and conducting business there and making money. They may plan to get married and have a family. They may choose to study the history and collection of stamps and plan to have the biggest stamp collection that ever existed. The the problem is not that they're making a plan. The difference here is that this person, when they make a plan, are submitting the outcome to God. If it is God's will, then my plan will succeed. In everything this person seeks to do, They are surrendered to God, not prideful in their own strength, in their own plan, but knowing that if it comes to pass, it only comes to pass because of God's strength and God's plan aligning. And finally, this person, while holding a plan, a plan that they believe is a good plan even, is willing 
When an interruption comes, when it becomes obvious that a different good is, is before them, a different good that God would have them do, this person is willing to set aside even that good plan and to look at God's plan and to say, yes. Really, the only difference between these two is that one has surrendered everything in their life to God, and the other holds tightly to things that don't even really belong to them in the first place, believing incorrectly that they are the authors and perfectors of their own lives. You know, as we each think about our lives, about our futures, my hope is that each one of us would, would turn to that example of Mary, that we'd be living out this life described by James and, and followed by Mary so well. She made her plans, she thought about and moved toward a future, but when God interrupted her, instead of being angry, instead of being frustrated, Mary says only, I am the Lord's servant. May your will to me be done. And so I guess I would encourage each of us to be thinking critically about our own futures, to be thinking about the future of our church here as we bring in a new pastor, to be thinking about what it looks like to have plans to, to be invested in God's kingdom, to be thinking about how we can live and serve and love those around us, to be making plans and living those plans out to the best of our ability. But if it should become clear that God says to us, I have something else for you. I have a different plan, another good that I want you to be doing. Then, then we should be ready in an instant to say, if it is your will, I am your servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. It's a hard thing sometimes to see our plans and our ideas set aside. But when we look at time after time, the promises of God, the word of God being fulfilled in amazing ways, ways we never would have even thought of, at least for me, it becomes a little easier to say, God, your plan is better than my plan. So I just, as we leave here, as we think about our lives, I just so encourage each of us to be ready to surrender. If you would join me in just a moment of prayer. Father, we, we turn to you our lives and our futures. We surrender to you our plans. And yeah, it's, it's hard sometimes to see a plan that we had for our future fall apart or, or be turned away. But we know, Father, that you have our lives and our best interest at heart and that you have a better plan than anything by far we would come up with. So I just ask that your spirit, your presence would fill each one of us as we look to future days, as we make plans for, for Calvary, as we make plans to live our lives for you. And I just ask that by that same spirit, you would make us aware of the good that we should be doing and that you would give us the strength and the will to do it. I thank you for this beautiful day and the, the life that we can have because Mary said yes, the life that we have in your son Jesus. And I ask this in his name and in yours, Father. Amen.